0: Welcome back to Pulp Friction. It's a show about what divides us. My name is Rocky. I am a career woman from the big city, and I just don't have time for romance.
1: Hi, podcast. I'm Simone, and I'm a small-town girl who's fallen in love, and I'm ready to learn that maybe things are more complicated than just church and milkshakes.
0: (laughs) it's valentine's day everyone as we're recording this it's valentine's day as you're listening to it it is a couple of days after valentine's day but there's been a mix up with the hotels and we've been forced to share a podcast <laughs> so <laughs> uh, we're gonna learn a little something about each other as we talk about the romantic comedy
1: mm-hmm. well i would say like i guess i kind of have a bit of a controversial inclusion for the rom-com because i would say the first live-action movie that i ever watched was a rom com. It was Singing in the Rain starring Gene Kelly. And I do think like that genre of movie should, it's a romantic comedy, I think. I just don't think it's like a modern romantic comedy. I think that genre of old Hollywood is part of the romantic comedy genre at large.
0: It's an interesting thing to like put musicals into that conversation, musical comedies and that sort of thing. Because I think there there is a lot of an inclination to think about like old Hollywood rom-coms and think about, I mean, we'll get into it, like comedies and manners and screwball comedies. But like, mm-hmm. yeah, I guess Singing in the Rain is, it's not a screwball comedy, but it is um, part of the comedy tradition of that time as much as the musical tradition.
1: Yeah. And then I would also say that I guess I've been like, I've been watching rom-coms from a really young age, the old Hollywood romance movies to... I guess the movies of like my teen years, like watching Legally Blonde and Clueless and stuff like that. And it's a movie genre that has a very special place in my heart. I think it's a lot of fun and I think it's a very good time.
0: Love that. I feel like I was aware of rom-coms and not really exposed to them when i was a kid i think that uh, neither of my parents are romantics especially <laughs> they uh, neither of them are particularly rom-com fans i struggle to think of the first rom-com i saw in terms of an older rom-com i can't really think of one the first like new rom-com i saw was probably warm bodies which is which is a movie i think is very good and which uh will come up as we get more into it but um yeah it's something that has was sort of a later in life process for me i feel like once i got into rom-coms i was like yeah these are good but uh i talk a lot on this show about how i grew up on the internet in the golden age of haters but i Mm -hmm. feel like there's a the rom-com hater train goes beyond that period in time and it's just sort of like it's almost a fundamental part of the genre that like it's treated like trash.
1: Yeah I I mean it's really rom-coms are kind of branded as being like for women and I think that that partly goes along with like how they've kind of been trashed also by like critics a lot like you'll see like Like there's a lot of rom-coms that I don't think are like high cinema, but that I also don't think are any worse in terms of like their quality than an action movie. But you see critics giving the action movie a better review because it's not, because it's not being made with an audience of mostly women in mind. And I think that just, we tend to be predisposed to give harsher reviews to things that are intended for an audience that is not straight and man.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, um, I would also say that in the past few years, it's been something where, uh, I mean, there's definitely been a reevaluation of rom-coms, I think, and I was trying to think of, like, what it's like. I had, I had a thought about that, but, um, there is more of a tendency to look at and appreciate new rom-coms, and we'll get into the history. I think there's a lot to that. There's also, I mean, you can just look at, like... The films of uh, Nancy Myers, for instance, where a lot of those were not well received when they were released, and now she is sort of considered a great auteur, even though she hasn't gotten to make a, mo- to make a movie in like six years.
1: I I will also say part of that internet culture thing, I think part of the reason why rom-coms don't necessarily jive super well with like internet hater culture is because rom-coms tend to be, not all of them, and like there's some rom-coms that I love that I would say are a lot like edgier and like a lot cooler and that I would say fit into that kind of internet culture a lot better, but rom-coms tend to be very like earnest and sweet and silly and the kind of like, I guess everything has to be super cool and like hate on things that are kind of dorky doesn't really jive with that super well I think
0: definitely uh, and, uh but I do feel like part of the reevaluation of rom-coms there was a period I think in the early tens this is really before the reevaluation of a lot of the like more genre typical rom coms that came in the past uh seven years or so but I think in the early tens there were really like that was really like the peak of like so many rom-coms coming out and I think a lot of that comes from this thing we see if, if from the i mean we'll get into it from the late 90s into the 2000s of rom-coms that are geared towards young men and are kind of making an effort to be uh cool uh in that way we'll we'll get into it the thing that i was going to say that i forgot about is the i i feel like the the rom-com is in conversation with the idea of the chick flick which is not really a thing mm-hmm. that exists anymore But like, there's a a distinction there. But it feels like as as like that idea of the of the chick flick has eroded. So too, the rom com has sort of been taken more seriously as a genre because it's not boxed into like this this weird ungenre.
1: The rom coms that I love that I would say I wouldn't necessarily describe as like that sort of cheesy chick flick are generally the ones that have been much better critically received and that have been kind of argued as being kind of a more serious film. Like, this isn't a film where Jennifer Lopez plays uh, a down-on-her-luck office worker who falls in love with her boss or something. This is a serious film where serious things happen, and Jennifer Lopez is nowhere to be found.
0: Uh, I I have some history. The romantic comedy starts, of course, in ancient Greece (laughs) with the... (laughs) (laughs) You have the old comedy of Aristophanes among others that is uh very bawdy and uh satirical often about politics and also uh, about sex and uh yeah just a real a real silly funny time that Aristophanes is having back then and then uh Aristophanes well actually Alexander the Great dies Aristophanes died before that but <laughs> and that After that period, there's a new comedy, which in the the latter periods of ancient Greece, these plays are more domestic, they're comedies of manners, they're about uh situations and relationships mostly they eschew politics and a a lot of the sex and are just more uh domestic like i said uh the most prominent new comedy dramatist was menander whose surviving plays include the grouch girl from samos and the hated man (laughs) band names i yeah i really do want to read uh the hated man i think like a third of it is is extant but uh, <laughs> sounds pretty good the romans liked new comedy they adapted a lot of these new comedies terence and plautus uh were some of these famous playwrights who brought these greek comedies to the roman stage and they sort of laid the groundwork for modern theater as well shakespeare's comedy of errors is based on Pla- plautus's monochmi and anfitruo which are adaptations of new comedies so, Plautus and Terence's comedies were tremendously popular during the Renaissance, and that laid the foundation for Shakespeare, it laid the foundation for Moliere's uh, comedies. Mm-hmm. Shakespeare's Much Ado About Nothing is considered the first comedy of manners, and Much Ado, Merchant of Venice, and A Midsummer Night's Dream are considered by some to be sort of prototypical rom-coms, mm-hmm. stories that sort of laid this narrative foundation for the rom com.
1: Yeah, I mean, I kind of I really like that. This is I guess partly where I start knowing more cuz I have to say I do not know that much about like the Greek romantic comedy, but one of the things that I've always loved about Shakespeare is that if you see it performed, it's actually pretty accessible. Like Shakespeare was not for the most part writing things that were super difficult to understand. It's just that most people don't have the easiest time reading Elizabethan and it makes a lot more sense if you see it performed than if you just study it in class and if you're seeing it performed by people who are good at it with the comedies they're still really really funny and most of them hold up pretty dang well and I I feel like that kind of accessibility is part of why I would personally consider him to be such an important part of the romantic comedy tradition is because it's accessible stories it's not stories that you have to like necessarily think on a really deep level to enjoy but that you can if you want to and you can still have a good time
0: i think you can think of the way that shakespeare like there are elements of like his popularity and his patronage that sort of pushed him into this position but like most of his shows have drama and comedy and action and you know like, like like a little something for everyone he is sort of working in a formula not dissimilar from marvel i guess you could say uh you know uh for its time <laughs> but uh i i mean you know these plays in particular i think mm-hmm. you can definitely see i and you know that element of performance and romance in performance there's obviously this separate tradition of romance novels that's a whole mm-hmm. that's a whole separate thing but i think shakespeare the sort of again body elements and the the you know physical on stage comedy uh elements are in there as well as these dramatic layers of romance and these stories that like you said are very accessible and have been you, you know can be adapted to the modern day so easily but also just mm-hmm. on their own uh still resonate.
1: Yeah, that's one of the things that I'm often very sad about is that people kind of grow up thinking of Shakespeare like they read it in uh, their high school English class and they don't really enjoy it very well because I just really think it's much harder to read Shakespeare than it is to go see it performed well. And if you see it performed and not well, that's only going to like reinforce your opinion of it.
0: Yeah, I think there is an element of like, not only how Shakespeare is taught today, but also how it's performed by some. some, And I think you can also look at the, I mean, there are a ton of great Shakespeare performance performers who I know, (laughs) but you can also, I think, look at Shakespeare films as another example where there have been a lot of standout Shakespeare films, but I feel like the ones that are sort of called upon, you know, a lot of these Kenneth Branagh adaptations are considered kind of canonical, and they're, I think... They fit into an academic uh, context more so than like an enjoyment context, you know. Yeah, we'll get into the teen movies that are adapted from Shakespeare, but in terms of more straightforward adaptations, it's yeah.
1: I I'm I'm ready. I've got my I've got my poster all hung up for the movie that I know <laughs> we're going to be talking about. The movie that's so special to my heart. Sure.
0: So. The modern rom-com emerges as an offshoot of silent comedies, Uh, some early examples include Buster Keaton's Sherlock Jr. and Harold Lloyd's Girl Shy, both of which follow the same basic premise that you see in these Shakespeare stories, where two people fall in love and there's some kind of conflict that draws them apart and then they come back together and happy ending. In the Depression era, the comedy of manners, which saw people from different class backgrounds, forged unlikely bonds, made a big comeback. Prominent examples include City Lights and It Happened One Night, which was the first film to sweep the five most prominent categories at the Oscars. And It Happened One Night is sort of considered the nexus point for the screwball comedy. Which incorporated elements like, 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 you know, it had these these elements of romance and comedy, but it also incorporated the battle of the sexes and fast-paced mm-hmm. dialogue, and again, sort of a, a body sense of humor and some slapstick. It's like a, a, a farce of these romance tropes mm-hmm. that is also kind of doing a serious romance. And that takes us into the era of My Man Godfrey, His Girl Friday, Bringing Up Baby, films of George Cukor and Prefton Sturgis. This is the the old Hollywood, I, I mean, the this, this screwball, which is sort of the like the earliest form of the rom-com in a way.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I love a lot of those movies. I grew up watching a lot of them. I had... Um a childhood where uh, most of the movies that I watched were movies from Turner classic movies um hmm. because my parents for some reason were like yeah we're going to show our 5-year-old his girl friday that's a normal movie for a 5-year-old to watch
0: yeah i mean i'll admit to having not seen many of the <laughs> many of the films of this era i did See, um, is it is it the Lady Eve, the Preston Sturgis one? Um yeah, the Lady Eve. That's
1: my mom, my mom wants me to watch that one. We were we watched um oh what was it what did we watch? We watched Um I Married a Witch, which is another one of these movies, and then my mom immediately started peer pressuring me that we have to watch all these Preston Sturgis movies. Yeah. <laughs>
0: He's great. I found out in doing this research that his last movie, which came out in 1955, was called "The French." They are a funny race.
1: <laughs> I love to see it. I am like I am always here for making fun of the French. I think it's always good. I absolutely love to hear it. I love to see it. Um, I guess good. like the the movies that I the comedies that I love my favorite comedies from old Hollywood, I wouldn't necessarily qualify as like screwball because I would think of the thin man movies. Cause those are just oh, sure. so good. And they do kind of have a central romance between Nick and Nora, but like their romance as husband and wife is much more secondary to them. Kind of having like fun banter and like being kind of a, like detecting duo.
0: Yeah. I, 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 I have <laughs> you gotta watch that one, them, but yeah, it's real good. I, I, I definitely will. I think what's interesting about Preston Sturgis is that he would do these very broad screwball comedies, and then he would also do satires like Sullivan's Travels that were just so on the other end of the spectrum. Just what a guy. And, you know, uh, George Cukor, I think, is uh, another worthwhile figure to consider doing uh, Philadelphia Story and... Holiday, like I said, uh, Adam's Rib, you know, a a great run of romances from him too. And then also more serious movies like Gaslight, you know, he was another one who just had this interesting range to him.
1: I I just, for a second, I thought you were going to say like Gaslight Gatekeep Girl Pops.
0: The trilogy. (laughs) From George Cukor. I saw a I saw a tweet the other day that compared George Cukor to Roland Emmerich, actually, even though he's known for his disaster movies, obviously, but, like, in the same way that Cukor was, like, doing these popular films that were, like, fundamentally relationship comedies, they were sort of making that case about Roland Emmerich and, you know, them them both being gay directors who sort of have an interesting take on straight romance that shows up in all their <laughs> movies...
1: Um, I will also say, I don't know if this is in your history, so stop me if it is, but I would also personally argue for like films like the Fred and Ginger um, musicals and Seeing in the Rain and On the Town. I do consider those like musicals to be rom-coms and I also think that this goes outside of film but I do think a lot of just musical productions would qualify as rom-coms. I think that musicals and rom-coms kind of go hand in hand very easily because they're both genres that you kind of have a lot of fun with and they're usually kind of earnest and silly and sweet and you know like good vanquishes evil in the end and There's a big tap dance number where Fred Astaire dances on the ceiling. You know, that classic rom-com trope. Um, Yeah, we've all been there. Yeah, you know, when you're in love and you dance on the ceiling, it's wonderful. that is also I would say that that film, which is not a Fred and Ginger, that's um, Fred and Jane Powell. The Royal Wedding is also kind of a rom-com. And it is a musical, but it's also like, it's not what I would typically define as a musical because they play a brother and sister traveling singing duo and all of the musical numbers in that movie, besides Fred Astaire, like tap dancing on the ceiling are for the most part numbers that they perform on stage. So it's not like quite a typical musical, but it is still definitely like a a musical movie and it's a very good movie.
0: That's an interesting perspective. And it's not something that's in my history, but I think that like, I mean, I think the early Rogers and Hammerstein musicals definitely draw directly from that Shakespeare tradition mm-hmm. that 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 we were talking about. So I think that you can you can definitely see them as cousins at the very least. And then the fact that they were, you know, the Hollywood was producing these screwball comedies and musicals so much in the same vein, like there's definitely a conversation being had there, yeah so after that period you get into the 50s and 60s where again you see you see some of that sex comedy stuff kind of uh the you know the more body humor and the physical comedy sort of like being pulled out and more stuff that focuses on relationships and the differences between men and women there are a lot of films written by neil simon that you see in the 50s and 60s you also see this incredible run from Billy Wilder where he did Sabrina, the seven-year itch, love in the afternoon, sound like it hot in the apartment in the span of six years.
1: Those are some good movies. I- have not seen all of those. I have I have seen um Some Like It Hot and The Seven Year Itch, mainly because I love Marilyn Monroe. And Marilyn is definitely a staple of like the romantic comedy genre. And she was a great comedic actress. I mean, this isn't um one of the films that he made, but Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. That's a romantic sure. comedy. I love Marilyn so much.
0: Yeah, I also haven't seen all these movies, but I definitely, I mean, Some Like It Hot is so good. And it's sort of like... It has an interesting, you know, it doesn't exactly fall into the rom-com, like, box very neatly, but I I saw an interesting thing that was talking about the history of the meet-cute and how some Like It Hot does not fall into that category because the contrived circumstances, the point, and not the romance. (laughs) I don't know. Interesting stuff going on with that. So, in 1967, a movie comes out called The Graduate. And it it just fucks up everything. This, this, I mean, this movie was such a massive hit. I think, adjusted for inflation, it made like a billion dollars. But, like, (laughs) the, the... Again, this movie about kind kind of sleeping with your mom's friend and like it's just this very strange sort of alienating take on uh, on the rom com. It's it's such a it's such a great and weird movie, but uh, we see in this new Hollywood era, as we see in all these other genres, that a lot of movies are coming out that are more provocative and darker and weirder um and there are also i mean there are a few great movies from this period that are sending up the screwball comedy like what's up doc is is phenomenal a new leaf is amazing the you know some some great films in that regard and then you also have a lot of these movies like harold and maude and annie hall that are just sort of doing these uh, just provocative uh stuff with the with the genre
1: i i will say like um the other movie that i immediately think that i thought of when you mentioned annie hall is one of the first um woody allen movies which is what's new pussycat which has peter sellers and it is an extremely weird movie i don't even know if i would qualify it as a romantic comedy but i watched it when i was younger and it's just the weirdest fucking movie it has um Oh, who does it have? Oh, it has Peter O'Toole and Peter Sellers, and Peter O'Toole plays this, like, womanizing editor at a fashion magazine who just can't stop fucking, and he goes to Peter Sellers, who's this really shitty therapist who's constantly trying to hook up with his hot, um, clients
0: yeah i feel like this is an important element of new hollywood and also of the modern romantic comedy that gets left off the table a lot is these borscht belt comedians with this like (laughs) distinctly like bizarre and neurotic and self-aware take on everything but but romance also and i think you see you, you see flips of the rom-com, I think, in a lot of the Mel Brooks movies. You see it, uh, obviously, in a lot of the Woody Allen movies. I would especially shout out uh, Love and Death, which is a parody of, like, Russian novels. <laughs> that is... That is. <laughs> Uh, that that has some interesting stuff to say. I mean, the graduate was directed by Mike Nichols. Elaine May did uh, New Leaf, which is about a guy who uh, is trying to kill this woman too <laughs> because because he has a bunch of debts, and then they they end up falling in love.
1: <laughs> that that classic rom com setup. <laughs> yeah.
0: So I think this twisted take on on love really does come from that Jewish comedy tradition in a lot of ways. And uh, mm-hmm. I think that informs the genre as much as anything else. That really does begin to take us into the modern era of rom-coms where like sort of all of these things mixed together. You see in the 80s that rom-coms start to do... Uh, really well at the box office in 81 you have Arthur and the Four Seasons both finishing in the top 10 in 82 Tootsie is the second highest grossing film of the year it made more money than any movie that year except for (laughs) (laughs) E.T. it's just wild the kind of movies that used to make money you know I I was watching sometimes I'll see a a movie like the card counter and just be like man if this was 1980 this that would be a huge
1: hit (laughs) yeah they couldn't make Tootsie today. They couldn't. <laughs> uh, well, they they tried to. They tried to put it on Broadway, and it didn't go so good.
0: Yeah, well, <laughs> it ain't easy. But we, we see a real, like, boom in the genre coming after that. We first of all have these early teen rom-coms like Valley Girl and Pretty in Pink. We have Splash. We have Moonstruck in 87, which I think is in a way a, a crown jewel of 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 rom coms, and then we have another one two years later with when Harry met Sally.
1: Yeah. A a Moonstruck is and When Harry Met Sally are kind of two of the greatest rom-coms of all time so it yeah it really is like this decade when you see things really kicking into high gear
0: I don't have anything to say about say anything but it did come out the same year as When Harry Met Sally so that's uh, you know another big one but I I feel like When Harry Met Sally is really like the moment you know Mm -hmm. because that was first of all a massive like word of mouth hit where it had a, a, a limited release and it just built and built and built that was obviously the movie that put Nora Ephron on the map and I just feel like a, a ton of like what the rom-com is today just comes yeah. from When Harry Met Sally.
1: And like there's so many When Harry Met Sally like kind of references that have been brought across like the whole rom-com genre. Like there are so many rom-coms that reference like the fake orgasm scene in Katz's Deli. Her- when Harry Met Sally set so many kind of like little, I guess, Easter eggs for future rom-coms to like put in their movies and be like see we've also seen other rom-coms we're referencing when harry met sally it
0: does so many things right and you know i don't know how many times how many times i can say that but it just its sense of humor and its sensibility about romance i think is one that has been that that everything that's come out since it has has kind of tried to do in one form or another and you know sometimes it really works and sometimes it really doesn't but there is Again, I think a, a, a Jewish comedy element at the root of it, you can look at, you know, obviously, obviously Crystal and obviously Nora Ephron, but uh, th- that's the one, you know, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's what it is.
1: Moonstruck, Moonstruck is also very Jewish.
0: I, Moonstruck is, I mean, it's very Italian, but, it, <laughs> but
1: I mean, uh, honestly, it, I would it, it, like in
0: the way that those things are kind of. Yeah, same.
1: like I like I see sometimes I like watch movies and there's something very overtly Italian and I'm just like, this is also Jewish. It's true. Yeah. The Great Italian-Jewish Alliance.
0: Yeah, if I if I had taken the time to watch Moonstruck, we could easily do an, an incredible talk about Moonstruck for two hours. Oh, probably. wow. Yeah, I
1: would I would need to rewatch it. I haven't seen it in like a couple of years since I, like, I watched it with my mom and my grandmother and I had to walk out during one of the sex scenes because um, something fun about me is that I physically cannot watch a sex scene if any of my family members are in the room because it makes my brain explode.
0: Yeah. <laughs> nothing wrong with that at all i mean i mean sharon nick cage is such a
1: <laughs> that's the that the, i love that they were making that film they were like you know who we need for these leads we need share she's a mega star and then who else do we need we need nicholas cage
0: it's an interesting thing because this was kind of I mean, this was, in a way, the breakout role for Nick Cage. I think he might have done uh, Raising Arizona the same year, but this was really the year that that he was um, being put on the map. So in the 90s, there's obviously a lot of different rom-com trends in the 90s, one that I think is key to look at. You have, like, the John Hughes era of the teen rom-com that sort of sets a lot of those tropes, and then in the 90s, you have the new era of teen rom-coms, many mm-hmm. of which are directly adapted from classical literature.
1: Yeah. Um, Two of my favorite rom-coms of all time fall into that, Clueless, which is one of my favorite rom-coms of all time, and my favorite rom-com of all time, 10 Things I Hate About You, which is adapted from Taming of the Shrew. And it's a perfect movie. And I have a poster of it up on my wall right now
0: absolutely two just phenomenal teen movies just you know so so of their time and so fun and i don't know there's there's something in their sensibility where they again have that awareness of like how (laughs) how silly it is to be concerned with, with with romance in this way but then like there's sort, of, there's sort of a purity to them on some level too, even though they are, again, being adapted from these classical works, kind of getting back into that body mm-hmm. uh, territory with with some of the, the setups that they have, but then also, again, play straight, play for teens, you yeah. know, yeah.
1: I will say that one of the things that I love a lot about Clueless is that Jane Austen and Emma are both... I think of Austin as a very funny writer and a lot of modern adaptations of Austin that are personally not my favorite are the ones that haven't really ever seemed comfortable with that humor. And Clueless is an Austin adaptation that I frankly think is kind of very faithful to the spirit of Austin. And that is a very funny movie and that it keeps a lot of that humor in and one of my um this is like genuinely I think the hottest take about movies that I have and I think I might have mentioned it on the podcast before but I'm not sure I am not that big of a fan of the Kira Knightley Pride and Prejudice because it is shot in such a way that is like it reads more like a Bronte adaptation than an Austen one like there's like all this like brooding long shots in the rain it feels very gothic to me and it's also just not very funny and if i go and see like an austin adaptation i want to have at least one solid moment where i'm just like oh this is so funny i'm Mm -hmm. going to laugh now
0: i feel like it's sort of the same thing that happens with a lot of the like straightforward shakespeare adaptations where they're just kind of um not willing Mm -hmm. to you know get silly with it clueless 10 things i hate about you uh some of the other ones that fall into that 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 space are oh and she's all that and she's the man and um it, it keeps going really from the 90s into the 2000s it dries up in this sort of runcom desert mm-hmm. in the mid-10s but it still kind of exists today you can look at uh sierra burgess as a recent example and obviously they sort of brought brought she's all that back into the fray <laughs> a little bit
1: i have to say a lot of i have not been a fan of a lot of recent teen rom-coms because they are it, it seemingly made by people who don't who have kind of like a vague idea of what gen z is like and they're like okay this is what gen z wants they want addison ray to do a she's all that robot re- like reboot and we don't want that I also think Addison Rae's audience is really not other Gen Zers it's mostly like 13 year olds and stuff and that's Gen Alpha Mm. Uh, but like I I think that most of the rom-coms that have been made recently that I really love are ones that have kind of been a little bit weirder and maybe Mm -hmm. more adult and I would say my two favorite rom-coms in recent years have been um, just a couple years ago in 2020 Palm Springs on Hulu with um, Andy Samberg is just such a good fucking movie i absolutely Absolutely. love it it's one of my favorites and sleeping with other people back in 2015 with allison brie and jason sudeikis is just that like it's so good and it's kind of like a bit of a sad movie in places but it's also very very funny and has like a great cast it's got natasha leone as like allison brie's gay best friend like kind of randomly and she is also the lead in one of my favorite gay rom-coms of all time, but I'm a cheerleader.
0: Yeah. You know, that's definitely something that you see in the, in the nineties is these, these underground movements and this new queer cinema movement. And and some, the beginnings of, I think something that a lot of people will, do with a more cynical uh aim today of like i i mean it's with on a level it's with an aim of like bringing representation into rom-coms i think you can point to like a recent like rom-coms that people are seeing trend it would be that but like you know sort of they're, they're sort of a veneer to it i definitely feel that same way about newer teen rom-coms where there feels mm-hmm. that it, it feels like there's a mean-spiritedness about them i haven't really engaged with them enough to like have a take on that. I'm kind of interested in seeing some of them and I want to go in, go in with the clean mind. I don't want to judge them offhand, but yeah.
1: I think one of the things that I see a lot, and this is nece- not necessarily so much just in like newer teen rom coms, but in like media that's aimed at teens in general, is there's this kind of attitude that like people from Gen Z or like teenagers must hate like older movies because, oh, they've got all this sexism in them. And clearly all teens think like classic old Hollywood movies are sexist and bad because that's what all old Hollywood movies were, even though that's really, really not true. And there's this weird viewing of like, because Gen Z is the most progressive generation on record, there's this sort of weird thing of like, okay, we have to acknowledge how woke this generation is in our movie. And it's always done in a really clumsy, weird way. And it never really lands because it's clear that the filmmakers are kind of un- are both kind of uncomfortable with it and also don't really understand these sort of generational concepts at all mm-hmm. out of these like more recent movies i have seen the first to all the boys i've loved before and i did think it was like a pretty good one i hated that i movie. I, I, don't think <laughs> I,
0: it- I like you know again i go into these with a clean mind i don't i don't i don't want to yeah. hate these movies i watched like 10 minutes of it and i was like oh this is a bad movie <laughs>
1: That's fine. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I thought it was generally fine. I think that um, Lana Condor is a much better actress than Noah Centineo is of an actor. Mm-hmm. And I think that she does a really good job in that movie as like this kind of like cute teen girl who you want to cheer for. But the, the sequels, I have not even bothered. I... I can't yeah they keep sticking Noah Centineo in these um teen movies like they did that one with um Camila Mendez from Riverdale and I watched like the first half of it and I was like this is so bad I can't keep watching this
0: (laughs) yeah I'm interested to see what happens with Noah Centineo because I see him as having potential for being a good himbo actor and I know he's going to be in (laughs) uh he's going to be playing He-Man in a in a movie that's coming out uh in a a year or two and Okay. I'm interested to see where that goes, but I would agree. I mean, I guess the reason they're putting him in runtime is because they put him in one and it did well, and now they're like, let's do that again. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah.
1: It feels like um some studios have kind of thought, oh, we need to set him up as like the new Leo DiCaprio or like the new today's heartthrob, but like I don't really think of him as a heartthrob. And I also think that like the weird shit he's been doing on social media (laughs) kind of killed that immediately. (laughs) Like when To All the Boys I've Loved Before came out, I was like, okay, he's kind of cute, sure. He doesn't, he's not very charismatic, but you know, that comes with practice, I guess. And then he's just like posting these weird poems on his Twitter and I'm like, "Never mind."
0: I think maybe that's what I what I'm thinking of when I talk about other. Feels like a, a meat spiritedness to them is that it feels like they're trying to f- reverse engineer a moment like the '90s teen rom com moment, rather than just sort of like letting things come about mm-hmm. more organically. And and some of these leads yeah. that they're picking are not uh, up to snuff with that. And you know, they I think they're oh, yeah. relying on safe directors and you know doing a lot of things that sort of don't a good movie make, but. I also, you know, again, I, I haven't seen any of these movies. <laughs> I, I don't want to uh, <laughs> assume anything offhand about them.
1: I, w- I will say there have been not necessarily teen movies. I really don't think there have been um, that many really, really good teen rom-coms or at least like, comms made recently obviously there's movies like um, Booksmart and Lady Bird which are very very good movies but aren't necessarily like traditional teen rom-coms but I would say like the movie that's come out recently that I would say is like the most traditional kind of like mid-2000s rom-com that I really enjoyed was Set It Up from Netflix which stars Zoe Dutch and Glenn Powell as the lead two characters and they work as these two kind of beleaguered millennial assistants to these like overbearing bosses and the overbearing bosses are played by Lucy Liu and Tay Diggs and they are both phenomenal
0: (laughs) and um
1: It's really good and there's um a tight ty- there's a small Titus Burgess role as um the creepy janitor in the building that they work in and there's also a Pete Davidson role as um Charlie who's with the other like lead character as his gay roommate
0: Nice that's great that's a great that's a great Pete uh <laughs> pull there
1: Yeah Pete Pete actually does a very good job as a gay elementary school teacher
0: The thing you were saying about, like, millennial-speak and Gen Z-speak, it just made me think of, and again, movies we can get into, but uh, Diablo Cody's ethos in, like, really several of her movies, but especially in Jennifer's Body, where she was like, rather than trying to sound cool and sound like teen-speak, I'm just gonna make up slang that doesn't exist. (laughs) 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 <laughs> and, and it, you know, it feels so much more natural. It has so much more of a distinct style to it. And she does the same thing in Juno um, and in the mm-hmm. in the Powerpuff Girls show that didn't end up getting made.
1: But- yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. And a lot of that slang from, like, Jennifer's body in Juno, Juno especially, like... Those movies were so good that, like, that slang became real slang that people used. And, like, I know people who would, like, quote Juno or, like, put some of the, like, language that Elliot Page uses in Juno into, like, their everyday speech. And that's, that's the mark of a good storyteller is that you don't necessarily need to, like, rip things off from real life and you can make things that are so great people put them into their real lives.
0: Yeah, the thing I remember that I was going to say is that I think the the cynical media idea of Gen Z as being woke and kind of uh petulant and distracted and whatever else you want to say is sort of equivalent to the 90s me- media narrative of millennials that like like the teens of that era just being like really dumb. You know, like like the, yeah. like all that big head <laughs> kind of <laughs> that, that, that whole like trope about them when you look at like what's played with in 90s rom-coms versus what's played with in modern rom-coms again i haven't seen enough these modern teen rom-coms to like fully comment on it but i think you would probably see sort of a parallel use of those things and i think we've we've seen those 90s rom-coms get reclaimed as they went through this era of like women in media, like any media being made by women or being enjoyed by women that had previously been cast aside getting like a closer look. And Mm -hmm. I wonder if that could come for the for the modern teen rom-com. I
1: I don't know, because I don't know, maybe this is just my personal bias towards those older rom-coms. But a lot of those movies... That I love, like Clueless and Ten Things I Hate About You, have this like very sincere feel to them that a lot of the modern rom-coms I haven't seen like a single one that feels sincere. Like the Addison Ray, she's all that remake, just felt like we are making this to make money. Mm. Ten Things I Hate About You, especially there's a really great piece in the new in the New York Times like a few years ago where they interviewed a bunch of the old cast and they talked about how much fun it was like working on that set and making that movie and how much it felt like they just got to be like teens messing around and like that's really not the vibe that you get from a lot of these modern movies you get these being like these hyper produced hyper shiny products yeah
0: i i haven't i talked about sierra burgess earlier as an example of uh one that is adapted from uh from from, obviously it's from Sierra No, but uh I, I haven't seen that all the way through, but I remember it being one that I was like, oh, this is pretty good. Um, but I don't know. I, I think that there are definitely a lot of examples of, you know, ones that just get shit out by Netflix that they're like, whatever.
1: Yeah, Netflix is really guilty of like the kind of like Riverdale speak style of like Gen Z romcom. And it, it sucks because when they make good rom coms, like set it up, they really make good ones that I think fit in well with stuff like um, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days and, like, stuff like that that's, like, really great, like, just fun rom-coms that you can sit down and enjoy.
0: The 2000s saw some pretty consistent hits in the- some consistent hits like How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days in the romcom space and also a few, like- just run away insanely huge movies kinda out of nowhere, like My Big Fat Greek Wedding, and Bridget Jones' Diary, and Mama Mia. This was a decade where, I mean, I was talking about how Mama Mia made more money than Iron Man, but like, a couple of the this phenomenon happening, this When Harry Met Sally thing happening on a bigger scale every couple years, where just like a movie would kinda come out of nowhere as a rom com and just bust through and, you know, break all these records and be like a massive hit. I think there's also a trend that comes in the in, in the 2000s where, I mean, I talked about this a little before, people will start to cater to this young men comedy audience with like a raunchier take on the rom-com genre. I think it really starts with there's something about Mary and then you have American Pie and Shallow Hell and the 40-Year-Old Virgin.
1: To be honest, I have not seen, I think I've seen American Pie, but the rest of those I have definitely not seen because... I mean, the way that they're built is as being these kind of like gross-out teen movie, mm-hmm. or well, that's how American Pie is built. But like, they're bill- they're built as being these kind of like it's a rom-com for the guys, and like, <laughs> that's not what I want to watch. I want to watch um, Kate Hudson versus Matthew McConaughey scheming. Yeah. Like, I don't want to see some guy put his dick in a baked good.
0: Yeah. Uh, there's something about Mary is good, but uh, yeah, they uh, a, a mixed bag there. This whole this whole Fairly Brothers thing, and there's also I think the Judd Apatow, what what I often call the Apatow diaspora in the in the late 2000s. <laughs> uh, the, this just sort of blooming uh, world that like takes over. I think American comedy in a lot of ways, going from the 40 year old virgin, really from Anchorman to the 40 year old virgin, but Anchorman is not around. com obviously from 40 year old virgin to knocked up. And then to forgetting Sarah Marshall, and then things build out. You get forgetting Sarah Marshall is amazing. We, <laughs> we we can talk about it, but then you get Zach and Mary make a porno, and Nick and Nora's infinite playlist. Like I was saying earlier, Easy A, Crazy Stupid Love, like this, you know. This group of actors sort of builds out and takes over the whole thing.
1: Um I, a bunch of movies, a couple of movies that you re- for that you just mentioned, there are like two of my favorite rom-coms would be um Easy A, probably slightly above forgetting Sarah Marshall, just because I love Ebba Stone and easing in Easy A so much, and also because
0: yeah. Easy A also based it's on just so good. Also based on Scarlet Letter, obviously. So this. Scarlet Letter,
1: yeah. <laughs> um and it also just has like as much as I love forgetting Sarah Marshall, I don't love that every time I watch it, I have to remember what Jason Siegel's penis looks like. Sure. <laughs> and, but it also is a very, very good, funny movie. And um, there's this, there's the really hilarious scene where he and um, Mila Kunis are like having sex in the room that's like... The walls are connected to the room where Kristen Bell and Russell Brand are staying in, and they're having like a contest to see who can have sex louder. <laughs> yeah, and it's really stupid, but it's so funny.
0: I adore forgetting Sarah Marshall. It's 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 really good. Jason Segel does Hang Dong, and he also puts on the <laughs> the Dracula, the vampire, the, the Dracula puppet musical that's with Bill Hader. That's so wonderful.
1: It's 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 the best thing I've like honestly that, that the Dracula puppet opera is just it's so fucking good it like Jason Siegel loves him some like Muppet-esque things it's he true. loves the Muppets and I, I just want him to keep making movies with puppets in it because he shines when there's puppets.
0: Yeah, I mean the the 2011 Muppet movie was really like a Jason Segel passion project, where like he did for getting started mm-hmm. Marshall, and he was like, I want to do a Muppet movie, and then for he was just like pushing for a couple years to like let me do a Muppet movie, and then and then he did, and it was great. <laughs>
1: <laughs> God, you love, it. good for him. Like, you absolutely love to see it.
0: The thing about this Apatow train for like a couple years is that he would consistently be, like, putting out this amazing comedy, and then, like, the sixth-billed actor in that comedy is the next star, and they get a movie <laughs> the next year. And just kept that kept that going from, like, 2006 to 2013. Just, like, a, a crazy run. In the 2010s, there's this period that I feel like doesn't get talked about much, where, post this Judd Apatow boom, there are so many comedies and even rom-coms there are so many rom-coms being made in this time like an absurd amount and and, 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 like just movies we don't talk about like this is an incomplete list of rom-coms that came out in 2009 and maybe i'll talk about some of these later but 500 days of summer Bride Wars, Confessions of a Shopaholic, Couples Retreat, Did You Hear About the Morgans, Duplicity, Ghost of Girlfriends Past, He's Just Not That Into You, I Hate Valentine's Day, I Love You, Beth Cooper, Uh, It's Complicated, My Life in Ruins, Play the Game, The Proposal, The Rebound, The Ugly Truth. And, you know, it just continues from then to, like, (laughs) 2014, I mean, 2014, there's a crazy amount, but, like, yeah, it's just, like, constantly rom-coms are coming out.
1: Yeah. And, I like, a lot of those movies aren't necessarily, like, I don't know some of them are good some of them are just okay but it's interesting because it's like such an absolute like a mega saturation of rom-coms that I think that's also kind of around the time that you see the most kind of like pop culture sort of mocking rom-coms while they're Mm. also making like a shit ton of them that's when you see like a lot of people kind of like looking down on that genre of movie and like those sorts of stories and also that you also kind of get this narrative that they're not feminist enough and then the people who are saying that they're not feminist enough are being told that they're buzzkills. and then it's this like whole big thing
0: yeah and there's this this weird sort of double-edged thing to it where there are rom-coms like silver linings playbook that are you know getting huge amounts of acclaim and making a lot of money and yeah that obviously nominated for best picture nominated for a bunch of oscars i think i think jennifer lawrence might have might have won for that but then uh
1: was that the movie she stumbled up the stairs for
0: could be could very well be uh but then you also have that same year like uh this means war and uh, which was like a, a notorious flop in in the rom-com scene from mcg who is you know obviously very much not a a rom-com director generally so you sort of have these two worlds where there's like the apatow thing going on but then you have these very um the the, these like highly acclaimed movies that are sort of in the rom-com space crazy stupid love the previous year a movie that i don't think is very good but that (laughs) was was obviously uh, pretty well regarded at the time and then you also have you know a lot of 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 these you know more like typical rom-coms that are coming out and like everyone's sort of getting on that train and there are a lot of the movies that are made fun of the most are also coming from that space yeah Uh, an effect of like the peak of this boom and also something that i think of when i think of rom-coms being made fun of online is that famously no strings attached and friends with benefits came out like a few weeks apart from each other
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's the same movie.
0: People were people were quick to say they're the same movie. Uh, I'm trying to remember which one people say is good. Uh, I think Friends with Benefits, the the one with Justin Timberlake. Uh, the other one being with Ashton Kutcher. But <laughs> they're the same movie. <laughs> I think what happens after that, there are like diminishing returns on some of the rom-com stars that people are looking at and obviously there are some of these notorious laps that happened during this boom but i also the the, the obvious thing is that hollywood studios become increasingly focused on these tentpole mega franchise you know cinematic universe opportunities and the mid-budget comedy kind of dies on the vine in the mid uh, 2010s and so there's just mm-hmm. a couple of years there where there are there are rom comps coming out at that time i think of um train wreck as an example of, of of one that definitely made money but then there's also like again a few big flops that come at the outside of that like this is 40 and the five year engagement and admission where this this apatow thing is drying up and uh, like nothing mm-hmm. else is really working um people for a couple years there are just like not investing much in comedy let alone in rom-coms and just seen as something mm-hmm. that like people aren't going to turn out for
1: yeah one of the things that's interesting in those in these kind of past two years is the rom-coms that i think have been successful i mean after the sort of end of the boom the like few rom-coms that i think of as being like kind of successful are ones that aren't necessarily really faithful to the genre and that are like kind of a little bit edgier and kind of more indie like um sleeping with other people i think that one of the things that's been notable is that if the and also that train wreck is kind of like a darker movie and that it's yeah. a little bit like edgier and like sadder and in order to have a successful rom-com you can't like have necessarily everything tied with a bow and you can't have this almost like Disney princess movie-esque Charm. You have to have some grit to the movie.
0: Definitely, that's a, that's a very good point, and I think that um, going back to Silver Linings Playbook, I see that as maybe like the the nexus point for things moving in that direction. Uh, also, the fact that Apatow himself moved so strongly away from the broad comedy and more towards This Is Forty and um, Trainwreck, and, uh, and and then Big Sick after that, just you know, moving away from i think maybe seeing that his cloud is drying up but then just sort of moving towards like more dramatic fare i guess his first one is funny people you could even point to that as a as a as an origin point but uh there's definitely i mean other than that there's like enough said in and uh and uh, seeking a friend for the end of the world and there's you know this uh, these sadder rom-coms that are that, yeah. that are finding an audience where the the big you know adam sandler stuff is not is not really coming together i think the most recent like significant phenomenon that made people kind of say maybe the rom-com is coming back i mean there were a couple things that happened in 2018 that led to that path but really i think it was uh, crazy rich asians
1: it's really good it is one of the things about that movie is like it is a very very traditional rom-com it hits so many beats in like traditional rom-coms like there's like a makeover montage there's like a caddy ex-girlfriend who tries to sabotage the lead there's like kind of a scheming mother-in-law there's like all this stuff happening and the main twist of it is that it's the first of those kind of movies to have an entirely asian cast and to be diverse because those movies have historically been white as all hell. Mm -hmm. Although we did not touch on this, there have also been like the specific kind of subgenre of Black romantic comedies and comedies that are being largely produced for a Black audience with all Black casts. But those weren't really being marketed at all to like quote unquote mainstream white audiences.
0: Yeah, I think you can fit a lot of them into the same. I I mean, yeah, there's definitely a separate phenomenon in the era of- love don't cost a thing there's definitely like you know there's that era of the black rom-com where there's definitely like a whole scene happening there i think in this uh more recent kind of tyler perry era of of the black of the black rom-com you can kind of put it into the same box as this like everyone's doing rom-coms thing Think they could like think like a man and you know any of the stuff in that sort of canon uh Mm -hmm. can sort of be put in the same shelf as people tend to put them on the same shelf as like the adam sandler rom-coms i don't know if they necessarily belong there but yeah
1: Yeah, and I I think Crazy Rich Asians is probably one of, like, it's definitely one of the best, like, traditional quote-unquote rom-coms that I've seen in recent years. And I read the book as well. I think the book is pretty good. I think, I would say that the main plot of the movie is less about whether or not Nick and Rachel are going to be together and more about the drama between Nick between rachel and eleanor nick's mother and there's a lot of rom-coms where the main drama is much less about are the main two characters going to be able to get married or get together and it's much more about the main girl having a drama with the mother-in-law like there's Mm. a jennifer lopez movie monster-in-law with jane fonda as this kind of like cartoonishly evil mother-in-law
0: yeah baby (laughs) (laughs) I I guess, uh, when I was talking about earlier, the thing that people say about, like, about, like, rom-com men, I guess the one thing that I did think of is how, like, the two actors who you could maybe see as having that be their brand in recent memory are Henry Golding and Noah Cedineo, both of whom you could say yeah. are, are pretty bland. But, yeah, I mean... Crazy Rich Asians is a really great comedy. And the thing I was saying about how in recent years, I think the rom-coms that are coming out are moving back in this direction of like scale and like costumes and just, just, you know, the, just, just thinking about like big and, and, and kind of glamorous visuals. Um, I think is something mm-hmm. that, that Crazy Rich Asians sort of pushed us in that direction again.
1: Oh very much. That wedding scene with like the bride walking in on the bed of water is it's such a beautifully shot scene. The costumes for that movie are insane because it's all these like fabulously wealthy characters so they're all wearing like crazy designer shit constantly.
0: Absolutely. There's another big rom-com that uh comes out in 2018 and it's a film that we've already covered on the podcast. I love Simon. Oh. Yeah think about that and so i think there's a, a an idea that's taken away from the success of love simon and crazy rich is that like the new wave of rom-com there's going to be rom-coms that are sort of like representing people who aren't usually represented in in this, in this. Like, like, like rom-coms that are more traditional in structure maybe but like what they bring to the table is representation
1: yeah I mean, like, this is one of the things is like that I've been seeing in the conversation around representation is like, it's not just about making like these really sad and dramatic narratives. It's also like, let me make this really cheesy, stupid rom-com, but it's gay now. And I don't know how much that, necessarily personally qualifies for me as meaningful representation. I would say that um, oddly, I feel a lot more represented by the queerness in, but I'm a cheerleader than I do in Love, Simon. Even though my own coming out journey is definitely way more similar to Love, Simon, my parents have never sent me to conversion therapy. Right. But one of the things that I think I personally felt about that movie, and I don't necessarily feel qualified to say how well like Crazy Rich Asians represents Asians, But one of the things that I think I kind of noticed with Love, Simon is how like polished and squeaky clean the queerness of that movie is and how that felt kind of like it. And this has been like something that I've noticed with a lot of like representation things in popular media is that it it always feels a little bit too shiny and plasticky and easily consumable for people outside of that minority to consume.
0: Yeah. And I you know we did a whole uh, again we did a whole episode on love simon i definitely have thoughts on it i like simon as a character and i like nick robinson's performance a lot but like Mm -hmm. i think you can point to a lot of the great i I mean as we're looking at this history you can point to a lot of the great stuff in rom-coms coming from a self-awareness you know again from this tradition of Jewish comedy sort of undermining tradition in in a way where th- this recent wave if you look at crazy Rich Asians and love Simon as part of the wave is like doing the most straightforward version of the genre but the subversion is who's cast and who and like and mm-hmm. like you know the these surface level elements of the characters rather than exploring them on a deeper level than that yeah so in 2019, uh, there's a bit of disaster. There are five big rom-coms that come out, really, really six, and they all kind of flop. Uh, Long Shot, Last Christmas, Isn't It Romantic? What Men Want, and Yesterday all sort of, sort of notoriously don't do well. Uh, Always Be My Maybe was kind of a hit for Netflix, but it also, I think underperformed their expectations at uh, uh, on a level. Yeah, a moment coming right after these two big hits in twenty eighteen, where I think the 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 industry sort of pulled back, and I think what we see in the past two plus years is. I mean, the vast majority of rom-coms that have come out since that have been on streaming, I think Marry Me is the first, which was released this week and which I saw yesterday and which we can talk about, is the first theatrically released rom-com since 2019.
1: Yeah. I mean, we don't know how much COVID is is going to have affected these movies. And God, I I just, I know there's going to be a rom-com where COVID is a main plot point. I just... I know it's coming. I'm I'm bracing myself for it. I'm girding my loins, devil wears Prada style. Ugh, it's going to be so bad. Um, I, I will say that some of. Personally, my favorite rom-coms that have come out recently and that my favorite rom-com that I mentioned previously that's come out in just the past couple of years, which was Palm Springs was on Hulu. I don't think people think of like Hulu movies on the same level that they think of like Netflix movies, which is a right. shame because Palm Springs is a really fantastic movie. And it, it's definitely one of those, like, edgier rom-coms where it's, like, kind of, you know, dirtier and, like, weirder. And, like, the main crux of the movie is they're, like, stuck in a time loop Groundhog Day style. Mm-hmm. But it, it's it's a very different movie to anything I've seen in the genre. And I really enjoyed it. And I wish more yeah. people had seen it because it's really good.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'd I point to another Netflix rom-com, uh, Hulu rom-com that I think is really good, Happiest Season. Mm. Came out, I think, the same year as Palm Springs, and uh, you know, I think had been seen like like marketed itself as a representation film, but I think really was character driven in a way that in a way that loves Again, I like the character of Simon and love Simon a lot, but I feel like that movie is really driven by this as the gay teen rom com, and I feel like Happiest Season has a lot more like fun character stuff going on, and you know. Mm-hmm. Well cast, great performances of that one. Yeah, so I w- w- would point to that as another example of a, a recent Netflix rom-com that was good. There were two rom-coms released this week. One of them is the one with Charlie Day and Jenny Slate on uh, Amazon, which I have not seen. Oh, I gotta watch that. I, I do have to see that. it. I've heard that it's charming, but it's kind of shot like a TV show in a way, which is... Uh, often the case of some of these modern ones, I did see the one that was released in theaters, Marry Me with J. Lo and Owen Wilson.
1: Tell me about it. I, I have not seen it because I don't go into movie theaters right now.
0: Yeah, it is. I, I really liked it a lot. It, it's really fun. I think it brings some of that glamour that I was talking about with this like post Crazy Rich Asians thing. A lot of J. Lo's outfits are very... Just, just like well-designed and cool. There's, you know, a lot of some big scenes that take place in, on like stadiums with massive crowds and they're like part of, you know, she's playing a version of herself and they're part of her like uh concerts. And yeah, the plot is so sweaty in that really fun rom-com way where it's just like... Yeah, she, you, you know, everything's so contrived to make, th- to make things happen. Uh, but, like, J-Lo has obviously al- already proven herself as a great rom-com star. Owen Wilson has done a couple, but, like, just... I, I mean, their chemistry is great, and I think part of the reason that it really works is the fact that, A, Owen Wilson is so great at playing some guy. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> and so much of the charm comes from the fact that, like j lo is this pop superstar and owen wilson is some guy and they are sort of like coming to realize that they're not so different
1: it's 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 a it's a rom-com for pete davidson and kim kardashian
0: exactly (laughs) that's what it's all about uh i also maluma plays the uh the guy who she was going to marry and like he doesn't have too many scenes but i do think that he you know i was kind of impressed with his performance in it uh, Sarah Silverman is the gay best friend for for Owen Wilson, and uh, a, a fun Sarah Silverman performance too.
1: That's great. I I'm I'm enjoying that. There's a bunch of these recent rom coms where there's like a gay best friend played by a comedian who I wouldn't really expect to play a gay best friend. Yeah. I. i i I love the idea of sarah silverman as a gay best friend i hope it's i enjoy it as much as i enjoyed pete davidson as the gay best friend
0: she does she does good stuff she uh there's sort of a bit with her character where she's like her plan is to take her girlfriend and her girlfriend's ex-girlfriend to the j-lo concert (laughs) and she's like gonna propose and they've been dating for two weeks and then like three days later they break up and then she so she takes owen wilson and his daughter to the show instead (laughs) 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 fun stuff i really i love that movie uh so as i said i have sort of a, a loose list of favorites and you have yours as well i don't know if there are any from your list that we haven't uh touched on yet
1: um well actually there is one kind of notable exception that we haven't discussed yet which is um literally every other movie but this one um legally blonde
0: Hmm, an interesting case
1: I don't, I, I, I question whether I, I made this movie kind of like randomly and I, I made this like um, list of like my favorite movies kind of randomly and I do think Legally Blonde is supposed to be a rom-com, like mm. one of the whole, but it's kind of like, it's like a rom-com gone wrong. In a lot of ways, like mm-hmm. it, it, it it, kind of starts with this very traditional premise of she's going to get her man back. And then it kind of devolves into like Elle's real romance in that movie is not really with Emmett or Warner or even Selma Blair's character. And I actually did see there were some potential endings where her character and Selma Blair's character, Vivian, might have ended up together. Mm. Elle's real romance in that movie is not with any of those characters. It's her falling in love with a career that she loves And I think that that is honestly a very interesting way to like do a rom-com is that it's not so much about falling in love with a specific person as much as it's falling in love with like something you end up realizing means a lot to you. And that's something that a true love doesn't have to be a person. It can be a career or just something that is meaningful to you. And that is a great love that you have.
0: Yeah, I, I guess it's hard not to put Legally Blonde into the genre category of Clueless and uh, Thirteen Going on Thirty, which I'd probably consider a rom com. Like that, you know. Oh, it, yeah. it, it's it's in that square. I guess I guess it's in the Princess Diaries kind of zone also. But like, but that feels like a, a chick flick inclination of you know just just yeah. Putting these these movies aimed at young women together, and thinking about the Reese Witherspoon canon, you know, obviously she's playing it. It's an incredibly different film from Election, but it's I kind of think of Reese as as you know doing these character driven kind of thoughtful comedies that uh, I don't know, <laughs> but 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 yeah, yeah. It, it, there are a lot of ways of looking at it.
1: I'm so ready for the third one. Oh my god, I. Oh my god, I'm so ready. I I know that it's. I I don't care if it's a cynical cra- cash grab. I want more Jennifer Coolidge, and I want it now.
0: Absolutely. I also just feel like the last time Reese did like a movie, I was like was like a little early in my like movie going era, and like I, I I need like a new Reese Witherspoon movie to go nuts over. <laughs> So, looking at my list and a few of the films that I haven't had cause to mention yet, uh, a movie that might be my favorite rom-com is actually a parody of rom-coms. Uh, it's They Came Together. It uh, was directed by David Wayne, who who did Wet Hot American Summer. It stars mm-hmm. Paul Rudd and Amy Poehler. They, uh, it, like I said, it's a parody of rom-coms, and it is... Uh, a movie that never fails to make me laugh out loud. There's so many incredible bits in it. And every time I watch it, there's stuff I didn't catch before. The plot is that Amy Poehler runs a a small candy store called Upper Sweet Side. And Paul Rudd works for a candy conglomerate called Candy Systems and Research. <laughs> that is- oh my god. <laughs> I love that so much so many incredible cameos in it um there's a great Ed Helms bit there's a great uh, I think it's uh Bill Hader and uh who's it's um God, it's uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, uh, Ellie Kemper, uh, they, they are the the couple, who, they're having like a double date dinner, and they're the couple to whom Paul Rudd and Amy Poehler are telling this story. There's, <laughs> there, there's a bit with uh, Christopher Maloney uh, shitting in a Halloween costume, and I don't want to say any more about it, but it's just an, an insane movie that is uh, a, an all-time favorite of mine.
1: Nice. I will. I will definitely check it out. It sounds really good.
0: It's on one of this. It might be on HBO Max. I don't, I don't remember which one it's on, but it's on something. I would say that Shrek is a rom com.
1: Elaborate, please.
0: I guess it's. I guess more rom com stuff kind of happens in the second one, if you want to say that. Like. Yeah. And I. I do probably like Shrek two more than more than the first one anyway. So like, let's say Shrek two is one of my favorite rom coms, but like. <laughs> yeah fiona's curse and just you know the the way that the, the this love conquers all thing that it that it comes around to you know it's uh i i think it fits into every definition of the rom-com and there, there's a lot of stuff to be said about shrek where like if you pull off whatever preconceived notions you have about uh animated movies like it you know it, it just stands up as a great film and the fact that it Premiere can uh, was nominated for an Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay, just like, yeah, it all deserved, like, it, it it's a, a film on that level.
1: I did not know any of that, I'm so <laughs> glad that I do. That's great. I, yeah, Shrek is, absolutely, I, you've convinced me, Shrek is a rom-com, and it's a great one.
0: You could definitely point to Scott Pilgrim as a rom-com,
1: Interesting. I hadn't really been thinking that much about. Um, I will say, I, I when I was making my own list, I wasn't necessarily thinking a lot about like manic pixie dream girl type movies as part sure. of the rom com genre. But, but that's they such definitely an are.
0: That's such an important like fucking. I mean, we were talking about Five Hundred Days of Summer, a movie that we mm-hmm. we didn't really come back around on. But yeah, I think that is yeah a huge part of of the rom com. Another rom-com trend of the 10s, and then another thing mm-hmm. that I didn't really talk about is, like, the, the sort of John Green verse of, like, of like teen romantic dramas Ooh, that yeah. sort of overtakes the the teen rom-com in the, in the mid-10s.
1: But I will say, I do think Scott Pilgrim definitely fits into rom-coms as a genre. I just think, like, I mean, this is one of the things, is this often happens in some rom-coms, is that I feel like Scott and Ramona's romance kind of gets overshadowed by the other stuff happening.
0: Yeah. And I feel like because kind of the point of, I, I mean, it's, I'm sure it's true. It's also true of 500 Days of Summer and I'm true plenty of rom-coms that like part of the point is that Scott is a shitty guy and like, you don't want him mm-hmm. to win, but <laughs> there are a few films of which you could say there is as much stuff happening as there is in Scott Pilgrim. So <laughs> <Like, laughs> I, I do think there's a, there's a romance attitude and again, it fits into that. You know the the wedge between the 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 two people who and again at the end of the movie they don't fall in love so I guess you could just say that that is the the idea but yeah
1: I mean I will say that that is also like something in kind of the slightly I guess less traditional rom-coms where they're not necessarily getting married at the end but they're like sitting and having like coffee and something and it's kind of like what's gonna happen next and there's this kind of implication that something might happen after the credits roll with these two characters but they they never say it explicitly you know they don't say i love you there's no ring there's no baby it's left a lot more ambiguous
0: it's an interesting take on the graduate ending where there's the grand romantic gesture and then they're sitting on a bus yeah. like, oh, fuck, we shouldn't have done that. <laughs> <laughs> I do like Always Be My Maybe a lot. That is a, a film I think is great. And I think that Randall Park should be in rom-coms all the time. <laughs> yeah.
1: it's, it's really good. It, it's, it's really good and really cute and really funny. And he and Ali Wong are just like great in it.
0: And I also, talking about the 2019 movies, I also really like Logshot, which is Seth Rogen and Charlize Theron. One that, I mean, you know, I'm a big Seth Rogen fan, but um, the in, in this film uh, where where he is, it it has an interesting, like, eye towards politics that, I, I don't know if it says that much, but just the fact that Seth Rogen is this, like, sort of gonzo journalist and Charlie Theron is the Secretary of State, it's sort of like putting interesting uh, like filters onto the, onto the rom-com tropes i think from a political perspective uh warm bodies i talked about briefly a movie that i think is very good and that sort of falls into this category of like the you know the rom-com with an edit- added thing on it they're zombies you know just <laughs> just something a little different <laughs> uh obvious child i guess you could say is a rom-com <gasps>
1: oh my god how did i forget about oh i'm so mad at myself right now i love jenny slate so much that's one of my favorite movies how did i forget i'm i'm very upset right now i i literally have jenny slate's little weirds by my bed right now i fucking love jenny slate so much she's one of my favorite comedians and actresses
0: yeah, and you can put it into that uh, Sleeping With Other People, and I've said uh, Celeste and Jesse Forever is another one that's good Just like, you know, that that camp of the indie rom-toms That yeah. are doing it at that time, yeah a, a great one that I just recommend And a really weird one is Destination Wedding With Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder Okay Yeah, it's it's from 2017 And the premise is basically they They are just like the two worst most misanthropic annoying people in the world and they are just <laughs> it's just them talking the whole movie basically <laughs> like a really it, it's kind of it can be an uncomfortable movie and it, like like it's, it's just like kind of a dark and weird round com but like Less in the way where that some movies like Seeking a Friend for the End of the World is obviously like you know, the world is ending. This is more just like these are two shitty people <laughs> who are perfect for each other. <laughs> and it's, it's great stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, that's Sleeping with Other People. It's these two shitty people who end up being perfect for each other.
0: Uh, I Love You Philip Morris is one that I would definitely shout out. That's uh, Jim Carrey and Ewan McGregor. I, I mean, another one was sort of a dark turn on the, on the genre. But yeah, just a really great performances from both of them and uh, a fun story uh in terms of Nancy Myers movies I like The Holiday a lot and then uh top five is one that I would really recommend that's Chris Rock and Rosario Dawson it was also directed by Chris Rock uh it came out in 2014 and uh and sort of in the marry me vein, Chris Rock is is playing you know a superstar comedian. Uh, Rosario Dawson is a journalist who's interviewing him, and they're just sort of walking around New York. And uh, he's got all this stuff going on where he's marrying a reality star, and he's you know had these grapples with addiction, and he has this movie series called Hammy the Bear, where he's like a, a bear who's a cop, and that's what everyone knows him for. And they're always like, "It's Hammy time!" They're shouting at him on the street, and he, you know hates it. Um, yeah, that's, that's a great movie. Just a, I love Chris Rock, and that's probably my favorite film of his.
1: This is the second time, I, th- th- more than second, but th- that makes me think about Pete Davidson and Kim Kardashian. The, he's this comedian who's had struggles with addiction, and he's marrying a reality TV star. Although <laughs> Pete go. and Kim Kardashian are not getting married, at least as far as I know. I think that would kind of crush me.
0: They definitely aren't, I, I would like. I'm sure they're having fun, but it, yeah, that's not.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I I, I, still don't know what to make of that relationship, but it is funny how upset Kanye is about it.
0: It is. Uh, I guess we didn't talk about Pretty Woman, which is a, a great classic rom-com. She's Gotta Have It is is one that I would definitely shout out. Yeah. I would say Coming to America is a rom-com. Yeah. There's some of these that I'm shaking on. Like, I have... uh What do I have? I have Raising Arizona on here, and I'm like, you know, it's about a couple, but I don't know if I'd really call it a rom-com. But, well, but Coming to America, I think, is very much, like, a rom-com. <laughs> like, it's, it's got everything. Yeah. And then uh, Moon Over Parador is... I, I'm not sure if I'd say it's a, a good movie, but it's kind of a weird movie that my dad used to talk about all the time, and that I've i don't know seen and thought was kind of <laughs> was, was kind of silly goofy it's got uh raul julia and richard Dreyfus and sonia braga just a, a weird little cast there like uh like you know it, it's one of these like 80s movies with a cast of mostly older actors but uh yeah sort of just a just a fun little movie together together is uh a a very recent one with um i think it's ed helms and patty harrison and and you know it's sort of in that in that like very adult you know uh issues rom-com kind of kind of vein but it is also like a really funny and sweet and understated uh film with uh yeah and and patty harrison is so great in it she's a a, a real star
1: yeah i'm i i I will definitely check that out because i love patty harrison she's so funny
0: absolutely We've we've done it.
1: <laughs> That's all the rom coms, folks. We, we, we've, we've done all. About,
0: we've done all the rom coms, and uh, if you <laughs> have if you have any rom coms we forgot, you can leave them in the comments. Which. Uh, at least on Substack only paid subscribers have access to. If you like the show, you can become a paid <laughs> subscriber on Substack or just, you know, I've got I've got my Kofi and other things in the in the link tree. You can just uh share it with your friends, let people know you like the show. That's one of the best things you can do. Simone, thank you so much for joining me on this valentine's day adventure
1: yeah i love rom-coms i love the podcast i love talking about my favorite rom-coms i'm always glad to be here
0: and yeah thank you to everyone who's been watching yeah. so far i will see you all next week i disagree i disagree,
1: I disagree. I disagree. I disagree, guys. <laughs>